us and them. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday Sermon of August 16th, 2020 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Be holy as I am holy, God tells Israel. However, holiness and distinction are not the goal. Reverend David Pelegi reminds us that Israel's call to holiness is for the sake of the nations. God's intention for human society is mutual love and service. Instead, we tend to split into groups of us and them, which results in self-satisfaction, self-righteousness, and domination. Paul knows that when the community of God lives as one us, we prove the validity of the gospel of Jesus Messiah. Paul, in his letter to the divided church in Rome, points to how God's mercy to Israel should instruct us so that we can live a life of united worship and obedience before our God. Continue our worship with the reading of Scripture. Two passages this evening, one from the book of Romans, uh, followed by our Gospel. The first reading is from Romans chapter 11. The first two verses then from verse 25 to 28. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you they also may be, obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he have, might have mercy on all. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading, reading is taken from Matthew chapter 15, from verse 10. Let us rise for the reading of the gospel. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, that defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, 
are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that um, your spirit would come amongst us and be our teacher at this time. And we pray that the uh, spirit of Jesus will enable us to better understand who he is, what he asks us to do, and all the glorious and wonderful things that he's done for us. We pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts and minds to your word this evening. We ask again for the sake of Jesus and the glory of his kingdom. Amen. I'm going to um, try a little bit of an experiment um, and that we're going to put, attempt to put uh, two passages together that seemingly uh, don't belong together. And I'm going to um, entitle this because they, everyone likes me to, wants me to give a title to the sermon, Us and Them. And um, this is no relation to Pink Floyd and Dark Side of the Moon. I know that's what most of you are thinking. And we'll begin with a gospel reading or the, <clears throat> the gospel account in Matthew Chapter 15, it's, um, in many ways, it's an account that demands uh, a fairly long explanation. And I'm not, I, Neville can correct me, but I think it was a year ago or even a year and a half ago when we were reading Mark 7 together here in church that we did give a, uh, a longer and a more detailed background. What is all this about, this uh, this 
purity or this uh, debates over, cl- uh, over cleanness. And they, it seems to us uh, very strange uh, and even quite unusual. Although, uh, as I mentioned this morning, if I'm talking to a group maybe from Africa or especially a group from Asia, India, uh, or points far, further east, they often understand uh, this passage in a way much better uh, than we do. But in, in brief, very, very brief, God basically asks the Jewish people, he not only calls, the, he not only elects the Jewish people, but he calls upon the Jewish people to reflect his character, to, re, to reflect to the world or to be witnesses to the world of exactly who God is and what he is like. And he asks Israel to refrain from sin and to keep away from death. And this, in a way, sums up what holiness is all about. Israel was to be holy, is to be holy, like God is holy. And basically what we have here is a discussion about holiness. Because in the, in the time of Jesus, it was well understood that when Israel came uh, into contact with impurity, and here we're not speaking of moral impurity, we're speaking of ritual impurity. When Israel came into contact with this impurity, it uh, was coming into contact with death. And death in the community, as we read in the book of Ezekiel, would ultimately minimize or lessen the presence of God uh, amongst the people. And so therefore Israel had to uh, repent and uh, bring atonement for sin, and it also had to stay um, away from death. And death in the Bible was defined as touching a dead corpse, uh, touching a dead animal that hasn't been properly slaughtered, a, a woman's uh, menstrual period, the afterbirth uh, of, uh, of uh, pregnancy or the afterbirth of delivering a child, uh, a man having sexual relations with his wife. All these things would make you impure. They were not sin. There's nothing to do with sin. This was about uh, coming into contact with death. In each of these cases, and more that's listed in the scripture, this is about something dying. And the purpose, the reason that God called Israel to be holy wasn't an end in itself. Holiness wasn't to be the goal, you might say. Holiness, God called Israel to be distinct, yes, to reflect his character, to be good for the sake of others, for the sake of the nations. Israel was chosen not only because God looked upon uh, the descendants of Abraham and, and, uh, uh, and elected them or chose them, and it was an act of love, but Israel was also called to serve the nations. Israel was called to be a blessing <clears throat> to others. Now, how are you going to do this? This is where holiness comes in. You have to maintain, yes, you have to, on one hand, be separate from the, na- the nations, Yes, maintain God's standards, 
God's standards of, of goodness and life, his hatred of sin. And yet, at, on the other hand, one has to yes, be willing to serve and be willing to bless. And it's a fine line that one has to walk. And it, it's very, very easy, yes, to lose balance or to lose perspective. And here when Jesus and, and Matthew 15 is talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to people who had become so concerned about purity, about cleanness. We're not talking about physical cleanliness. We're talking about uh, this idea of staying away from death. And the way, by the way, if somehow death um, pollutes you or touches you, one was required to go into the ritual immersion bath and to uh, immerse in what's called living water. Living water is water that wasn't touched by human hands. The idea or the symbolism that water, this water comes from God, yes, and God is more powerful than death. And the, the, there's a group of people, the Pharisees, who become extremely, extremely concerned uh, about purity. They take scripture very seriously, perhaps too seriously. They come to the wrong conclusions or draw the wrong implications. And in the process, they have cut themselves off from society and certainly cut themselves off from the Gentiles. And it is this where uh, it's certainly uh, this is part of the critique that Jesus has against the Pharisees and their high regard for purity. And when Jesus is eating with the sinners, when he's eating with the, uh, the sinners of the, uh, who lived in the time of Jesus weren't necessarily people who were committing adultery, by the way. Uh, sinners in the time of Jesus were those who were cooperating with Rome. Yes, the, what in Yiddish you call the stinkers, uh, or the collaborators, those who were collecting taxes or, you know, passing information onto the Roman authority, those who were subverting the mission and the purpose of Israel and the nation itself. And when Jesus is eating with these people, he's being criticized. And the reason he's being criticized has to do with purity. And of course, Jesus says no. And it's ironic, isn't it? Because at the, at the end of this discussion about purity, Jesus is confronted with a Gentile woman. And this Gentile woman comes to Jesus uh, when Jesus is making his way to the region of Caesarea Philippi. The woman <clears throat> comes to Jesus and she says, my child has a demon, son of David. And uh, son of David uh, may be a messianic title in this case, but it also is uh, an indication that uh, she's calling Jesus a healer. In the Jewish understanding or the Jewish legends of the Second Temple period, uh, the, the one who could heal and the one who could deliver, deliver from the demonic was Solomon. <clears throat> so, Jesus, so this woman, uh, in a reverent way, bows before Jesus and she says, Jesus, do something for my daughter. And there's a dialogue. And this dialogue, pe uh, many people find offensive or they find difficult. I don't want to be somehow delayed or sidetracked by that dialogue. I only mentioned that um, my 
teacher and the man who taught me most things I need to know uh, about the Jesus and the kingdom of heaven was a man named Bob Lindsay, who used to be the pastor of the Jerusalem Baptist Church or the Narquise Street, uh, Street Church. And he was a great Hebrew scholar uh, and a great student and a disciple of Jesus himself. And uh, Bob was convinced that Jesus had his tongue in his cheek, that uh, he wasn't very serious, and that this was banter uh, in order to, and somehow to draw this, uh, draw this woman out. But what impresses Jesus about this woman, yes, and what imp- being a foreigner, being someone who's technically impure because she's living in a land of uh, idolatry and immorality, that's the area of Phoenicia, What impresses Jesus about this woman, a woman who's not in, a woman who's out, yes, she's not us, she's them, is her faith. And she exhibits a faith um, that is characterized by persistence. She refuses to quit, she refuses to give up. It's as if she's, taken hold of the arm of Jesus and she is going to twist it until she gets what she wants. And uh, throughout the Gospels, on a number of occasions, this type of faith, a faith that has a bit of chutzpah to it, a bit of uh, persistence, faith that doesn't quit, that doesn't necessarily give up, or doesn't take no easily for an answer, and we're not talking about forcing or manipulating God. Yes, this is the faith. This is often a faith that Jesus admires. And I've, we've mentioned it uh, certainly more than once, and we can mention just a few examples. Don't we remember the, um, the blind man, yes, who's on the outskirts of Jericho? And this blind man hears Jesus of Nazareth is coming, And again, he uses the phrase, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples who are leading the procession, what do they tell this guy? Shut up. You're ruining a beautiful religious moment. So let's guess. He was English, and he started to apologize profusely. No, he's a Middle Easterner. So what does he do? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, they say. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, your faith, not some intellectual belief, not some um, agreement with doctrine or a creed, yes, your faith or your faithfulness or your persistence has healed you. Or there's the woman with the issue of blood. Same thing. Or what about the man who uh, is sick? He has no faith, but his friends have enough faith that they have, and that that faith translates into chutzpah. So what do they do? They go to someone's house. They open a hole in the roof. That's a bit nervy, is it not? And they drop the pallet down. Yes. Uh, in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, their faith has saved you. 
And so this is, an, this is an understanding of faith. It's not the only understanding of faith, but certainly this is the uh, faith that we see sometimes in the gospel. And this is what takes that woman from being them <clears throat> into being us. And it's faith, it's faith that is going to create, yes, and sustain um, community. Now, the problem with us and them is very, very human. Incredibly human. It is our tendency over the most trivial, over the most trivial things, yes, to create some kind of division, to create some kind of separation, yes, to, to make for us and them. Now, I can tell you that uh, when I grew up a long time ago in the Panama Canal Zone, that uh, in our neighborhood, we had uh, people, young kids, seven or eight, six, seven, eight, and there was a group of us who listened to the Beatles, yes, and we considered ourselves clean-cut, middle-class, and surely we thought we're on the road to, you know, success and we'll end up at Harvard. Okay, and then there was another group of kids who listened to the Rolling Stones. And I'm telling you, we were sure, we were certain they were on their way to prison. Yes, it was us and them over something stupid. And it's us and them over a few years ago, there was, if you owned a Mac computer, you somehow felt smarter and uh, uh, more intelligent. And you looked down on those poor, quote unquote, slobs not slobs, slobs that bought a PC, yes? And uh, there was some superiority. And if you support Manchester United, you certainly are not in a group or you cannot approve of, of those that support, yes, uh, Man City. And so it goes. Those are silly examples which people take quite seriously. We're not, we haven't even started to talk about language groups, about ethnicity, about political conflict, yes, that exists around the world. And it becomes, yeah, the story of us and them. Us and them. And us and them ends up being, I believe, um, not only one group trying to dominate the other, not only leads to a boasting, uh, but it ends up being some form or another of self-satisfaction and self-righteousness. Yes, I'm better than them. And, and by the way, because I'm better than them, I need to somehow dominate or control them. I need to take over. And interestingly enough, not interestingly enough, this was never God's intention for human society. God's intention for human society that is, um, we see, for example, whether it's in marriage or whether in the relationship between, the ideal relationship between Israel and the nations. Yes, is modeled on the Trinity, where there is no where there is uh, 
humility, and one serving another, one loving another, where there's no force and no, do, uh, no uh, attempt to dominate. And that leads us to the second reading, because the second reading also has an irony in it, which we'll come to in a moment. Sorry, it leads us to the first reading. The first reading was the book of Romans. So here we have Paul the Apostle, who uh, is at the end of his life. He wants to go to Spain, and he wants to stop in the city of Rome and visit the church. And this small church in Rome has got some serious, serious difficulties. And the serious difficulty, or the most problem, the most, uh, maybe the biggest issue, may be the us and them. We often read the book of Romans as the way to get saved, do we not? Romans is the road to salvation. You know, admit we're sinners, trust in Christ. And there's a lot to that. But I would suggest that what Romans is actually about is how do the saved live? How do the us and them live together? Because it's a church that is divided. And it's divided between Jews. And it's divided between Gentiles. And Jews and Gentiles certainly are not getting along in Rome and they're not, not, not getting along very well at this time uh, in the Roman Empire. I can pretty much guess that there are economic and cultural and uh, language issues that are going on as well. People are, the, the congregation and the, uh, the, the body of Christ is being divided by all kinds of minor secondary issues. And Paul finds this to be extremely difficult. Not only is he the apostle to the Gentiles, but Paul understands is that when us and them can live together and be united, yes, and be one community, that this proves the power of the gospel. This validates the gospel. It shows that it's true. And so Paul um, not only has to reassure Jewish people, that uh, Jewish members of this congregation, I'm, that he's not against the law. He's not against the Torah. The Torah doesn't save, so quote unquote, but the Torah certainly, <clears throat> yes, uh, enables one to, to be holy. And secondly, he hasn't, he's not in some way uh, anti-Israel. And I'm not talking about the state of Israel. I'm talking about the people of Israel. And he will criticize Jews and Gentiles equally for different reasons, yes, throughout this, uh, throughout this letter. And uh, let's just read a few verses because it comes back to the us and the them. And by the way, the, the basis of this community, as we read in chapter three of Romans, the basis of this community for Jews and Gentiles is what? It's faith. But Paul understands, as Jesus did, faith is not only something we believe in or some set of doctrines that we agree to. 
Faith is also faithfulness. And the community works by, yes, believing in Jesus, having faith in Jesus, yes, and living by the faith of Jesus, living by his faithfulness and being faithful to him. And so, um, for example, I'm reading in 327, yes? Where then is the boasting? Is it excluded? And I believe that both Jews and Gentiles were boasting uh, uh, about themselves uh, to each other. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. That's a very long discussion that we won't even try to enter into. And then when we turn to, um, to, to 11, yes, chapter 11, Paul has uh, two questions yeah, that, uh, two major questions here. One question that he asks in chapter 9, did God fail? He has, to, he has to address this question. He's addressing it to Gentiles because here's the irony. Because now it's the Gentiles, not the Jews, who are saying, hey, we're in, you're out. Yeah, you're finished. You're them and we are the us. And uh, God is finished with you, and uh, they're probably saying to themselves, good riddance, bye-bye, and he's now chosen us. And Paul has to assure them, or to reteach them, that in chapter nine, no, God does not fail. And then in chapter 11, Paul has to say that God uh, has not rejected his people. Now, it's with great hesitation, trepidation, and fear, maybe some of you can see me shaking, that I even mention Romans 11 in Jerusalem because everybody talks about Romans 11 in Jerusalem. It's like taking soul music to Harlem, right to the Apollo Theater, or football, you know, to Manchester. I mean, it's just a very, very popular subject here. But I think that while many people understand Yes, that God is, has not, you might say, divorced Israel or thrown Israel away. We don't fully understand the implications for us when it comes to this us and them. And so Paul um, is reassuring these Gentiles or, or um, you might say schooling these Gentiles that uh, in verse one, did God reject his people? By no means. And then Paul begins to give a long explanation. And basically Paul talks about this as being a mystery. He says, as far as the gospel is concerned in verse 28, they are enemies on your account, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his callings are irrevocable. Yes, just a, just as uh, you who were at one time disobedient to God 
have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they may too now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. And then Paul uh, finishes with a doxology, and this doxology is quite amazing. It's about God's character, his wisdom, the fact that human sin and human disobedience doesn't defeat uh, his plans and does not nullify the promises that he makes. So Paul says, has these very beautiful words, which may or may not have been his. He may have been a hymn used in the early church or a prayer. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Can we say amen? Of course we can say amen. And then what does Paul do? He, be, he says, therefore, Now, every sermon I've ever heard about Romans 12, about presenting your body as a living sacrifice, has no connection, has has never been connected to Romans 11. But the therefore is because of what God is doing with his people, what God is doing amongst the Gentiles, and what God will ultimately do, you know, among, uh, for, and in, or through the Jewish people. So therefore, what should we do? Hey, I think we've mentioned this before, but why not? Because of God's mercy to Israel, let's all go out and eat kosher dill pickles. We can sing some songs that go lay, 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 or lie, 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 all in a minor key. Use a few Hebrew, Hebrew words like sababa, you know, and uh, things like that. Here's a few Hebrew words that are probably all from Arabic. We can fly LL, and uh, we can write a check to the Jewish National Fund. But Paul doesn't say those, any of those things. Actually, what Paul, because of who God is and what he's doing amongst his people, he actually says he's, a, he's calling for holiness. And so in that context, let me read you these verses. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer by the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. Now, again, I don't want to, um, in the slightest, criticize or ridicule how these passages, or this passage in particular, has been used, how it's been understood. But do not be conformed to this world. What, what is Paul talking about? Because again, the whole issue in the church yes, is this division. Yes, and the misunderstanding 
that exist between two communities. And this misunderstanding is destroying the witness of the gospel. Yes, it is destroying, you might say, uh, the validity of the gospel. Do not be conformed to the world. Paul does not want in this church or any other church, he doesn't want us and them. He wants the us and them to go away. He wants there to be unity, although he doesn't always, he does not argue for uniformity, meaning Jews can still be Jews and Gentiles can be Gentiles and Greeks can be Greeks and Romans can be Romans. They can keep an identity, but there has to be unity. And so when Paul is talking about um, being living sacrifices, or when he's talking about not being conformed to the world, don't do that human thing, yes, of dividing into groups and thinking, I'm different, I speak another language, I'm superior, I've got an education, they don't have an education, I'm an Anglican, they don't practice Lent, I have a prayer book, you know, I certainly would never do what those uh, Pentecostals do, I certainly could never support their political point of view. So on and so on and so forth. And all, all we have to do is read the following chapters or following ver- verses, uh, and it just highlights, yes, that in our community, in the community that calls upon uh, the name of the Lord, in fact, I'd like to, Paul says in Romans 10, he says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all those who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, what does Paul say? Do not think of yourself uh, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay? But think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the measure of faith God has given you. And then he goes on to just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. Love must be sincere, I'm reading in 12.9. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Yes, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Yes, all of this, all of this, is directed to eliminating the us and them. So it becomes us and us. Um, I could move to 14, uh, chapter 14. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong, we, we belong to the Lord. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's, uh, in your brother's path. 
is it path? Um, in Brother's Way. Um, 16, sorry, 19. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Yes, whatever you believe about these things, and these are minor, minor secondary issues, uh, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn yes, himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. We who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build them up. For even Christ did not feel, uh, did not uh, please, please himself. May the God who gives us endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on and on and on. And so in all of this, in all of this, starting with that woman who was an outsider and even thinking about the Pharisees, yes, we as a community can't close, can't keep people out because of their theology or their politics or whatever they may be. And there is a certain place, yes, for inclusivity, and there's a certain place for tolerance. Very often we want our communities to be tight, yes? We don't want them to be open and have a difficult time uh, inviting people in. But tolerance and inclusivity is not the end goal and does not ultimately bring about human flourishing. It is the beginning. What is the end is faith. Yes, what maintain, what allows a person, yes, any person to come into this community, this place of unity where Jesus is Lord. And there's not an us and them, ideally. There's an us and an only us, is faith. But again, faith is faithfulness. And faithfulness has a, an a connotation or association with obedience. And so this faith that we want to talk about, Paul begins his epistle uh, to the Romans by saying, it says, um, it says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his namesake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles, yes, all the, the polluted, the impure, the ones uh, who are outside, Paul will later say outside the commonwealth of Israel. And we call the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. Faith leads to obedience. And so we want to invite everyone into this community. And ultimately to be a part of the community means we put away, yes, those things that divide us those things that make us feel superior, those things that may make us feel inferior, and those things which give ultimately the gospel in the name of Jesus, you know, a very bad reputation. Finally, 
Paul says at the end of the, his, the end of the book, at the end of the letter, sorry, he says, uh, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. Yes, might believe and obey him. It's not about just let's have a big happy club and everybody comes in. That's the beginning. But let's have a community. Yes, where we know the presence of God, the blessing of God, the gifts of God. And we know what it means to be, yes, to live lives of faith and faithfulness and obedience that will bring about, yes, our transformation and ultimately glorify God. And Paul says, he ends, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.